Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. On today's show, I'm joined by my good friend and award-winning guest, Mark Vosilius. Mark is a veteran real estate investor and is the president and managing partner for Core Realty. Since 1989, Mark has gained and grown his extensive background in real estate, including portfolio and property management, financing, commercial real estate sales, construction development management, and far more than even all of that. In recent years, Mark has been engaged in the development and project management of various projects, totaling well in excess of $500 million. He's been twice recognized by the Real Estate Investment Network in winning our top 10 investor award. And the extent of his real estate investment expertise is actually extensive and very apparent given his track record. When he's not engaged in his business, he loves to spend time with his family as well as hone his skills as the musician that he is. Like I say, I'm excited to have Mark join me today. And so without any further delay, let's get this show started. Mark Vasilius, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, my friend. Good to see you. We haven't connected for a while, so I'm excited about talking to you. Well, so welcome. Thank you so much, Patrick. And uh, I can certainly say the same. I, I, I have some pictures here I could show from our last visit, but <laughs> I think you know what that's going to be about. <laughs> yeah, those are not becoming at all of me. Anyways, you know, they make you look good. Hey, no, so, no. So, uh, so Mark, for our listeners today, let's talk about uh, what you do. You know, you're a veteran real estate investor. You're a business guy. You've covered a lot of ground in your lifetime. Lots of uh, learning, lots of experience, lots of wisdom to share that I'm going to pull out of you today. But let's start with what do you got going on these days? Well, I mean, as you know, we're in the middle. We're hopefully coming out of COVID. 
And like anything, there's always opportunities. So we have to always think outside the box. And so we're actually entertaining the, the rent to own space, um, realizing that it's very difficult to find uh, the, and banks aren't making it easier. The, the government itself is making it harder. So we're trying to, as a finance company, uh, trying to get into the alternative lending space and get involved with RTO. But we do developments. We do uh, private lending, of course, of all kinds for investment properties. And uh, But right now, if you mention something new, it's the RTOs. COVID inspired us to do RTO, for sure. Well, okay, but okay, so that's an interesting, let, let's talk about that a little bit. Why did COVID inspire that move for you? Good question. Um, first of all, had a lot of downtime, had a lot of time to think. <laughs> we and, all did, and, yes. <laughs> and tried to, tried to actually, uh, just as I said earlier, you know, how, how can something so tragic be transformed into something positive. Mm -hmm. As you can tell by my gray hair, I've been through a few things and you have to do your best to, to say, you know, this is an awful thing, but where is, where is there light? And in the business of real estate, uh, I think there's always opportunity. So that is really what did it. I had a lot of time in my hands besides writing music and doing that fantastic album that I've always dreamed of in my studio. Mm -hmm. I was actually thinking of real estate and, and where are the holes, I guess is where are the holes. And I believe the way, the way our government has been printing money and inflation, and there's so many other things we can talk about there. But I just thought that that the RTO space is is getting larger and larger. I do know a lot of people in it, and they're all saying they're busy as can be. So it was really just the time that I had on my on my time and looking at an opportunity, realizing that you know um, I had time to put towards a new a brand new project. That was really it. okay. So let's let's not be assumptive that all of our listeners understand RTO. So RTO is rent to own. It's an opportunity for wannabe home buyers to get in the space, and they may be credit challenged uh, or credit qualification challenged. So the the fundamental concept is, is that you rent a property, the potential buyer tenant gives you an option payment that says, I want to buy this property in two, generally two to three years. And, yeah. and then part of the rent, whatever that difference is, goes to uh, a, a, as part of the down payment or payment towards that property. It, uh, it, it, can you want to expand on that description, maybe articulated a little better sure. or how I mean, close I, are we? Yeah. And, you know, we, we, you know, there's, there's positives and negatives to, you know, we are, we are in the, in the real estate business. So th this is really a future contract, a future purchase and sale agreement yep. that a tenant co-owner. So we co-invest just so you know, they, uh, our program, they put 5% down. Mm -hmm. We then buy the property with them. Mm -hmm. And in three, four years, they purchase out really the shares, but the, the good part, and, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of your viewers are familiar with this is that the property management side is quite low because these are owners. We are, we, they, they're definitely being encouraged to be the owner. Sure. So if they want to do a renovation in many ways, they're looking at this as being their home. So they, they, they definitely take care of it way more than regular tenants would, which I think is an advantage, but yeah, you, you got most of that in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. hundred percent. But just out of curiosity, is that down payment, that 5% down, is that part of their, is that a non-refundable uh, option payment? You know, is that what that is for you guys? Uh, well, so yeah. So the 5% down is on the original purchase price. Yeah. Obviously three to four years there, there, there has to be a lift of some sort sure. because the equity investors, but um, so it's 5% uh, towards that. And it's, it's, it's mostly refundable as the term goes, as anything, it's graduating. So that right. if they if they decide to get out after the third year and they they're in a four year contract, 
they're non-refundable. It gets less and less and less. But Understood. Like anything, okay. uh, we've we found that there's about a about a five percent uh, chance of someone walking away. Divorce can happen, which is huge because we're dealing with young families. We're dealing with people sure. that are struggling to get into the market. Yeah. And we assist them. We try to get them in, and you know if they can come up with five percent. And you're right. There's a lot of credit challenges there during that time, Patrick. We actually. We have a mortgage department that works with their credit rating, and if we, and we every six months we we call them up, we we have a, a regular credit check and make sure that in the at the fourth year yeah. they're ready to go um, to take over the property. Yeah, it's yeah. So that's cool. I, I love the I love the the context of your program. It's marginally different, but I'm you know the guys who do RTO at the level you are, where they're really committed to it, they refine and they kind of put their own programs together and make it really work well. So I'm assuming on that side of it, Mark, I just want to dig into it a little bit. I find it an interesting time to be talking RTOs. I agree with you. That is, it is a great time to be rent to own, but uh, I want to get to that in just a second. So uh, on the other side of it, so you're doing some, helping them do some credit repair as well, perhaps helping them get their credit uh, set up properly. Yeah. So, so I, as, as with anything, you know, any, whether you're an investor or not, your credit rating has to be good because yep. you know the banks are going to look at it. We're we actually provide all the financing. We are we are an RTO bank. We are shooting towards complete RTO financing. We finance the debt yep. and we finance the equity portion. Oh, so on the okay. debt side, it's it's a first mortgage. Um, so there's there's our our choice of of tenant is really a future. So that's that's when a Schedule A bank would pay our investors out. Yeah. So. You know, it's um the, the the credit rating is only a part of yeah, you yeah. know being approved by a bank. As you know, there's their income levels. There, there there's a lot of things. Character is no longer an important part, which is sad. But banks have really, really made it difficult for immigrants and yeah. and self-employed people. You know, I'm sure you've talked about a lot of that. Is we know there's a lot of struggles with people that really are 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 on the fringes of what we call normal income earners, you know? So are you finding, just out of curiosity, are you, how are you doing on your rate in terms of your financing of it? Are you, you know, are you a little bit higher? Are you in that four or 5% range, three and a half percent range? Where, do, where are you? Well, let, me, let, let me ask you, Patrick, what is private financing going for right now? <laughs> well, listen, you know something that's interesting because I, I, I'm going to tell you private, private financing is going anywhere from uh, six to 10% or the numbers that I'm constantly seeing and 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 are being talked about so i'm not trying to put you on the spot i'm just curious i'm just genuinely curious as to what the financing part of it is 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 about for you that's all so to your point we're we're actually so the for, from the private lending side we're let's just go with a four-year term yeah. um we do a year to two years with private money yeah. we then refinance with a schedule a because our our we're an institution and uh we're like a, a full exempt market dealer so yeah. we have a good credit and so we refinance at that that's how a lot of our profit is made is that yeah. we actually use our credit to help those guys out so the private money is used at the beginning and we pay seven and a half percent in your first mortgage now okay so got it so that's kind of cool like you're you're pretty much a turnkey because one of the challenges especially you're based in Ontario. So one of the challenges that I've spoke with with other RTO type investors is they, they've got actually, you know, those that are running an RTO style business is they actually have investors, but it's more because of how long it takes to find the right property and then put offers on. Investors are kind of backing out. They're going, no, this is too much pressure. I don't want to make a decision that quick. So I, I think things are starting to slightly slow down in Ontario. 
But uh, are you guys running in against the, up against the same thing, or are you able to manage that energy a little bit better, Mark? Well, you know, it, it's going back to that first question, <clears throat> where you know what sort of brought brought getting on. I mean, I, yeah. I have I have quite a few friends in the RTO space, and they said exactly that mm-hmm. is that uh, you know about six eight months ago there was such demand that investors weren't moving quick enough and they were losing deals. Yeah. And so we thought of, well, what if we could move quickly? And of course, like anything, we, we think of, you know, when you put all the pieces together, sure. we realized we had to finance everything because yeah. even getting an approval from a bank, is it's not going to happen in under 45 days. Yeah. And they're slow to begin with and, and understaffed and all working from home, all these factors. So it kind of prompted us to say, well, how can we move quickly? And how can we, you know, we think this space has room. We think this space has growth because, the gov- as I mentioned earlier, the government is making it more of a challenge. So, yeah, to your point, you know, we have to move very quickly. That was an impetus for us getting on, on board with this, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it's an interesting time, isn't it? I, I love the fact that you pivoted and were able to bring that in because, to your point, there's lots of people that would like to buy a home. They can't get, you know, the market is the market. They can't get in. Uh, the rent-to-own spaces, you know, when done well, is a great opportunity for people to actually live in the home that they want to, uh, be able to qualify for it, repair their credit, you know, and get ahead of the market, which is what people are afraid of right now which of course is that you know the inflationary environment that we're in right now how long will this continue you know continue right. uh that right. that becomes the question of the day i mean we're building we're also uh building 65 townhouses we're in the last 10 and these last 10 although we were guaranteed the wood the wood alone has caused the price of the home to go up by 30,000 i was just on a phone call this morning about a guy saying prices are going to come down and i'm saying in your mind they're going to come down but talk to a builder and the, the net inflation, which we're going to see, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I think we're going to see for at least a couple of years, mm-hmm. that our net dollar is worth less, which means that million dollar home is still worth a million dollars, even though, you know, you, you think it's come down in price, it's actually remain, it'll remain the same, but the cost to replace, and you know, and I know insurance, look at a home, they don't care about anything. How much does it cost to rebuild it? It's the replacement value. Yeah. So we on on each home, let's say uh, our, our net build was thirty uh, uh, three hundred thousand. We're looking at a thirty thousand dollar on the last ten. It hasn't affected, but bro, ten percent just in the wood. And now we're looking at copper. We can't even get hydrometers. So we're you know we're we're a small builder. Can you imagine these other builders? I can't. And, you know, there's another discussion: supply and demand where people are saying prices are going to drop. How are they going to drop when there's so much demand and no one can build because the build cost just went up probably, what, 50%? Well, yeah, and to add to all that, you know, and of course our government, you and I can both get fired up about government, but I mean, of course, our government's so great. It's transitory inflation, but they don't add a timeline to that. Well, transitory, okay, let's just drink that Kool-Aid for a minute. What is transitory? Is that a year? Is it six months? Oh, no, oh, no. It's going to be much longer than that. So it always gets me a little bit worked up. But we can talk about that. But here's an interesting part of what you're talking about. Now, I've personally spoke with two bigger builders likely than you where they're, you know, they're, they're probably, yeah. you know, well, I mean, 65 townhouses, dude, that's not a, that's a big project, right? That's a decent project. For me, it's big yeah. and I'm happy with it. <laughs> yeah. And, and these guys are probably a little bigger than that. But the point is this, is that they are not, they got a couple projects in the can, two separate builders. Uh, they've got projects in the can that they're not building out for, I, well, it's under a year now. So I'm probably thinking eight to 10 months is what's left before they actually start doing things right like really get it going they put their lumber orders in uh six months ago in anticipation they started seeing it come but guess what 
They both had over, well, I don't know what the number was, I wanna say well over a million dollars worth of lumber that they bought from the supplier and then are paying storage fees of that same supplier so that, because at, at, at the end of the day, they believe the cost is gonna be significantly uh, less than it will be by the time they come to using the lumber. So it's a little bit of a gamble on their part, they get that, it but is. you know, you, you understand is that, but here's the point of that. When you look at a supply issue, you know, how many builders are hoarding and they're not hoarding, they're, they're hedging their bet. It's like, okay, you know, well, I, and, I was, and how many can afford to, to, to hoard? Yeah. I mean, you know, to your point, we ordered the wood, uh, well, well over two years ago, we were guaranteed the wood, but we weren't guaranteed the price. How can you guarantee the price? And he said, unless you buy it. And then we thought, well, do we have the financing to put, you know, another 800,000 into wood and then store it? Yeah. You know, two years ago, three years ago, there was no such thing as COVID. You're absolutely, you're, and you're hitting the point on that, right on the head, which is we really don't know. None of us, we're not predicting the future, but there is going to be a lot of uncertainty and uncertainty. I, I just don't see that um, affecting the real estate prices the way that a lot of people are thinking right now. I think a home is always the, the viewed as a stable thing. Yeah. And, and people put their money in homes for sure. Well, we, you know, we talk about it, of course, within the real estate investment network, we talk about it all the time, which is when we look at housing prices right now, what's going on in the housing market, you know, everybody's talking about boom and, and bust and it's going to crash and it's going to do this and it's going to do that. And, you know, when we look at it, we know this is that the housing market is totally disconnected from any kind of real economic fundamentals. It isn't 100%. about GDP. It isn't about jobs, you know, and you're going, okay, it isn't about, you know, productivity. Like all of that is off the table. It's driven by right now influencers, which of course are interest rates, supply and demand. And, and then you start to say, well, what happens when that all changes and the disconnect catches up, which is the disconnect from GDP and job growth, all the other fundamental right. stuff. But right. I look at it and I'm going, you know, I see, I actually anticipate some pullback later this year, early 2022, some slowing down, some pullback. But, you know, I'm assuming that at some point they're going to get those borders opened up again. So you've got a couple of things happen. You're going to have immigration if they stick to those numbers, even if they don't hit 400,000, which is what even half, even, even half, half those numbers. You know, yeah. we've already got an issue, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's first and foremost. The thing is, is that vaccines are cranking up and now they've changed the rules a little bit in terms of now we want to hit 70% or 75%. So it went from, we think we want everybody to get vaccines that wants a vaccine to saying, well, no, we need 75% of you to get a vaccine so that things yeah. can really open up. Don't push my buttons on that one. But the point is, is that then we have the bank of mom and dad and this wealth transfer from the bank of mom and dad is happening right. more and more and more. So I actually anticipate the housing market will start to churn even harder. I mean, we don't know anything. Let's, you know, Derek Loeb and I had this conversation and you know, Derek and uh, yes, I do. smart dude. And we talked about it and he goes, you know something? He goes, a lot of things that have happened. I've been in this industry, you know, in, he has been in the real estate industry like you for many, many years, you know, 30 plus years, seen it all, done it all. And, but at the end of the day, none of us know because we've never, we use critical thinking and that's the fundamental problem that we have because we, <laughs> our government does not. So who's, <laughs> we've never been at the effect of this kind of money printing and, right. and the understanding and even really grasping the concept of you know, deflating the dollar, inflating prices. I mean, people have trouble even wrapping their minds around it. And uh, when you look at and use that critical thinking and even to some degree common sense, we just can't anticipate what the Bank of Canada is gonna do. Buying bonds, 
Yeah, I'm not an economist, but you know the basic fundamentals of inflation is our our dollars getting devalued because we're printing for every for every one that we had. So it's I, I tell everyone don't hold on to cash, and so it's 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 basic you know economics that there's if there's if there's more money supply, the money that we have gets devalued because we're pegged with the rest of the world. And so you just use the word common sense. But, you know, again, to Derek's point, and I know Derek to be a smart man, we cannot predict it, but yeah. we have to go with something. I, I, and I remember when COVID started, oh my gosh, I, I actually panicked. I got a $10,000 credit card because I didn't even know what was going to happen. I thought, sure. what if, what if, Never had to use it. I actually yeah. had we had our best year yeah. because a lot of people put money into real estate, and yeah. which brings up something else you said, which is there is billions. I think we're at ninety five billion of money sitting on the sidelines yeah. that would have normally been invested. Yeah. So where is that going to go? You know. It's, so now we got money. We're printing money. I think the idea of inflation, which we haven't seen in a long time, is going to become a reality. And so, you know, the, your, your million dollar home is going to is going to be worth one point five, not because of appreciation, but because of the inflationary replacement value. I, again, I'm going on and on about that, but that's my take on it. Well, I just but it, but it, it's a great conversation to have, Mark. I mean, you know, not all listeners are in the same conversation we are, given what we do and and kind of uh, how we look at the real estate world, but. You know, and, and I, that's why I always think these conversations are great. I mean, you're in it, you're an investor, you're working it, you're a builder. So you're looking at all of the things that, you know, over the years, I mean, you've been on, you've been part of the rain community. You were part of the rain community for many years. You've been on stage. Like you understand the, the conversation around economics and what drives a real estate market. So now we're dealing with something that we've never dealt with before, which is this degree of inflation. And of course, the general public, here's what they're focused on. They're focused on CPI. They're focused yeah. on this whole uh, consumer price index that the government manipulates the way they do. They add this, they take out that, this is it. And, and they come, oh my gosh, we're at 3%. Well, listen, I, you know something, it doesn't take a mathematician or an accountant to look at what's going on in our world and understand that our actual cost of living is up significantly more than 3%. Yet, they can peg CPI at 3% and make it all make sense. And in the general public, Kind of lives with that. They they look at that, but the reality and, and, you is, know, this Patrick, you touched on something about you know as investors, and I'm hoping there's a lot of investors. Open, there's even my friends watching this. But you're, you're you're right. I always believe that that as an investor, we're the ones. If we're calling ourselves experts, well, then we better damn well be experts. Yeah. I, I know that over the years, as I've worked with joint ventures and I'm investing and I'm basically on other people's money, and sometimes I don't sleep at night because of that, I have to answer those questions. Sure. And I think that every investor needs to answer those questions because first of all, my money's in, in all my projects yep. as, as theirs should be as well. So I think the idea of educating, you're touching on that is, is analyzing critical thinking, all these words that you're using. I would say every investor needs to do that. Yeah. And you know, I've got people that say, oh, I let my financial planner handle that. I'll be straight up. I have no RSPs, nor do I have a financial planner. Yeah. I'm my financial planner. Yeah. And, and whatever I do, it's my fault. And it's also if I if I if I make a lot of money, I'm not lucky. Remember, yeah. luck is just someone who is whose opportunity <laughs> time has come. Right. That's We've right. heard that a million times. Yeah. But I, I, I want to just stress that, you know, if we're investors and I know there's a lot watching, we got to stay highly educated yeah. in this space. And that's that's what I can say about it. You know, the past year I've been come, you know, just really obsessive about research because, you know, of course we have a research team with the Real Estate Investment Network. We're always looking at it. But I've gone even beyond what the team does because I think there's nuances there that 
we have to look at, and I, so I move outside of Canada. I'm really watching closely what's going on in the U.S. I actually am having conversations with some pretty uh, astute individuals that are in the U.S., and I'm actually going to have a couple on the show coming up. But it, we have to pay attention to what's going on in the U.S. It, we cannot ignore just how bad that is. Here's the thing about it is when you're reading, and and I don't watch mainstream media, I and for what little I do, it's just to let me know, am I locked down? Mm -hmm. Am I opened up? You know, because the rest is to me is it's it's all, you know, it's all a scripted talking head. I have no interest in what they've got to say because it's this doesn't matter. I'll do my own research. So the point is right. this is is I'm looking at what's going on in the US, and we know that in the US things are not good. Yet, if you listen to mainstream media, it's like, oh gosh, they're coming, they're coming round. Uh, when you dig into what's really going on in the U.S., it's a very, very sad sight. And uh, you know, you can go uh, from state to state. You know, of course, we look at Texas, and Texas is doing great. Florida is doing great. The states actually didn't shut down, uh, didn't right. go the whole direction. Are actually doing pretty good. Uh, you look right. at California, and it's a train wreck. I actually had a. Uh, a U.S. guest on who moved from California, very very accomplished uh, individual. He moved from Cal from California to Florida with his family. He goes, you know, he just said, you know, at the end of the day, he said Patrick. He says it's L.A. is like tent city. There are people yeah. living in the streets. San Fernando San Fernando wow. Valley is uh, like literally tents and people living on the street. They're building some kind of housing that. I think that he said they were nine by 12 or something housing that's housing wow. for the homeless. And so it's like, so when you're looking at what's going on in behind there and what the feds are doing in the U S we're going to be at the effect of that. And, uh, you're, and yeah, and you're bringing attention. up something that I kind of want to ask you is, is, you know, here we are talking about the value of the dollar in, inflation. And of course, fundamentally, how does it affect real estate? Well, we're, we're extending our conversation into the U.S. And I kind of wanted to mention that in terms of our valuation, that we're always valued against the U.S. I think you would agree they're printing just as much money, if not more than more. us, which means if they're being devalued, well, then ours is being devalued. And then I have to start thinking of China. And I know that I don't know if we want to go into that conversation, but, you know, we're a global market and real yeah. estate as local and location, location, location. It is it's the the interest rate. And I, you nailed it. It's our interest rate is going to be be manipulated by our value of our dollar, which we have to talk about the U.S. and China and how do they influence. And so, you know, you're touching on some really big stuff that I don't know much about. I think you would know more than me, but. I don't know. How do you see China coming into this play? Well, you know, China, oh man, that gets into a pretty big conversation, right? Because what's, <laughs> yeah. because right now China's economy is doing exceptionally well. Here's the problem is, is that the U.S. is shut down. So their productivity is really, uh, it's not happening. They're not producing goods. This is the problem. And it's not like they're producing zero, but their productivity has dropped significantly because why? Because, of course, stimulus checks are going into their economy. So what are they doing? In order to get goods, they're having to import from China. So China's just humming along. China's doing some really amazing things. I mean, they're actually talking, you know, I mean, they're talking about the crash of the U.S. dollar. I mean, they're talking about the crash of fiat currency. And you can right. go down that whole rabbit hole as well. But the point is, is that, the feds, as in the U.S. feds, have said they're not going to raise interest rates to 2023, 2024. I think they're going to hard, be hard pressed to pull that off. And Canada yeah. is talking about uh, they've they've upped it. You know, they're saying, well, maybe 2023. But here's the fundamental. And, and listen, they're going to have to follow the U.S. lead in terms of interest rates. I think they will. 
But the problem that we have is, will they feel the need because of inflation to raise the rate early? You know, to right. I mean, it, you earlier we talked certainly about how influential the interest rate is, and I would fully agree. If there is if there is one thing that'll kill the real estate market is if we see five percent interest rates. We both agree. I think we cannot see five percent interest rates. But even if but they the go up, even if they go up half percent, uh, Mark. Here's the problem: what's half a point? But the all of a global really. Almost all of our countries, not all of the countries globally, have done the same thing. Now, to some degree, you know, to some version of it. Okay, so we they're all in the same same boat, virtually. Not everyone, but most. Now, here's the fundamental problem from, you know, with Canada. We can raise our rate. That will slow the housing market down. But it doesn't only slow the housing market down. Because then, of course, what happens is our dollar rises. Right. It makes us way more. It, we're not uh, appealing to uh, the U.S., our biggest trading partner. And right. uh, then that slows down our exports. Well, then it becomes this whole meltdown kind of conversation. Exactly. And, the, and, and the, you know, our, as we know, it's, it, you mentioned earlier, the GDP. Yes. We raise our interest rates. Well, what happens to our GDP? You can't yeah. raise interest rates because we need that. So yeah. I think we're stuck with low interest rates. And, I, and, and going way back to when you know, here we are, you know, we raise capital for our projects. People always ask, well, Mark, what do you think of the what's happening in the market? And I say, I, I personally think we're going to see low interest rates for a long time. Well, what if it goes up? And I say, well, OK, let's put the number. What if it goes up 2%? We already have a, a government stress test. Mm-hmm. And the government, you know, jokingly puts a stress test <laughs> because they can't raise the interest rate. Yes, they can. The real way to slow this thing down is to raise interest rate. They can't. So they're trying everything they can. So to your point, you know, I think we're going to see low interest rates for a while, which means we're going to be seeing this bubble, if we call it that, uh, you know, for a long time. And I do want to kind of comment, you know, way back, you, you brought up a good point about immigration. So 2011, I had a TV show and I swear I was agreeing with Simon Gianni, wonderful man. He passed yeah. away, but he was saying that, you know, we are in a bubble and here's why, blah, blah, blah. And I agreed with him. I said, you know, we're at. And then I did my own research going back to that and started pulling building permits. And in Toronto, we were at a peak of 40,000 new building permits. And we go, oh, my God, 40,000. But then I pulled the immigration. There's 125,000 new people. And I started, wait a second. We're not going to see it. And then I went on TV and said, we're not going to see this bubble crap. Huge people. Are you crazy? This is 2011, Patrick. Mm -hmm. Remember, we've been seeing it rise and and all all these other factors. And it has not crashed. So I got to try to be intelligent about this and say it's interest rates. If we keep interest rates low and immigration high, tell me about supply and demand. Tell me about supply and demand. Right? It, it is about supply and demand. And, and, and here's the fundamental problem that we run into. And, and, and then the podcast not meant to be about doom and gloom, by the way. That's a good topic, though. I like it. Right. <laughs> um, you know, the Bank of Canada, Tip Macklem says, well, we have lots of tools. Is there, we have a number of tools we can use. And they just don't. You know, they really don't have a number right. of tools. You know, they they... They talk about and and what can they do with interest rates? Really, uh, even if they you know take them a quarter percent, half a percent. Let's say they take a big jump at half a percent. Those those have other uh, unintended consequences, and it's not just about the housing market. So it is a bit of a quandary. Um, you know, for housing aside, I think housing is going to stay strong. I think uh, that it's going to continue to the prices are going to continue to go up, but I do anticipate a slowdown. And I might be wrong. I mean, I could be just totally full of shit. I don't. I think though that the market is not in a in a in a cycle where it's going to you know deflate quickly. Like I don't think housing is going to come off. There's too many 
other things that are happening. Now, that's not to right. say another black swan event. I just saw today, um, you know, that they've they've actually extended. I, I don't know what they call it. I have to look at. It. I saw uh, a note from uh, Randy Hillier sent it out. Randy courses, and he and he and the, our governments extended the, their ability to shut things down further, uh, right up till the end of this year. So I'm a little bit nervous about that. That could could have an impact. So the point is this: I still think. You know, here's the other. Let's have this conversation, Mark, and and I think it's a good conversation to have. Which is, how do we hedge against inflation? That becomes the question, Perfect. right? You what know. do you do? We know, we know, as business guys and as real estate investors, if you've got money sitting in the bank, I mean, yes, you need liquidity and you need access to cash just just to cover your ass. But at the end of the day, what do you do to hedge against the impending inflation? So, and, and you know, and Patrick, you're it's it, you're reading my mind. Just last night. Before I go to sleep, because you know, at my age, sleeping's hard. <laughs> I started reading about how can I head because not that I'm sitting on a pile of cash, mm -hmm. but like a lot of people, there I, I have enough money to possibly buy another investment property. Yeah. What is the greatest hedge? I have talked to some people. You know, we're talking uh, I, the Bitcoin thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I've started looking into that. I've looked into, uh, I, but then I like what Warren Buffett says: invest in what you know. The only thing that I can say that I know a little bit about is real estate. Mm -hmm. So I am actually looking at an investment property. But you know, this is another conversation: is I'm looking at an investment property in North Bay. North yeah. Bay is not on anyone's radar. No. <laughs> However, if you did see recently. You can, we, you know, about a year and a half ago, I looked at a, a rental property, get this, a fourplex, $80,000, brings in 4000 a month. Tell me if you're not making cash flow. But it's North Bay. Yeah, and there's so a, the, the problem with the with those areas and is there's good cash flow, but there's not a lot of appreciation. Now, having said that, there is some appreciation going on because of this whole thing about being able to work from home opens right. up a whole opportunity. And so there is, you know, certainly... Uh, the great Canadian migration across the country, you know, right. into places, you know, into the suburbs and, and what's going on. So I think the hedge in inflation is always for me is a, is a real estate. Should you have some Bitcoin? Should you have some gold and some silver? Probably. Right. I think it's probably uh, prudent uh, to, you know, we look at all the ways that we can we can hedge. But here's the thing is that, you know, uh, and we'll move on to another topic here, but because I want to know more about you. But ultimately, I think that you know, if if we were sharing a message, if I was sharing a message, it's don't just buy into what our government's telling us. Don't just buy into mainstream media. I often say is, you know, how can we trust, you know, how can I totally for face value trust the government? And by the way, I, even politic, like even party aside, I mean, in this case, we've got Trudeau in there and he's, you know, whatever, he's got hammered for two or three or whatever, uh, He's been accused of of going offside two or three or four different times since he's oh, with SNC Lavalin yeah, and all oh, that we yeah. we scandal. So he's got all these scandals going on, blah blah blah. So uh, you know, I'm not going to whether he's guilty or not. I don't know. You know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Perhaps I don't even need to have an opinion of it. I just know that over the years, we know that uh, the governments are not known for their honesty. It's often frustrating to see politics before policy. And everybody's just more concerned about getting reelected, getting their, uh, that's my view. That's my, and I'm pretty harsh around it. But at, at the end of the day, I vote, I pay taxes. I should have, be able to have my opinion of my government and actually call yeah. them to task for some of the stuff that they do or don't do. And, and that's I think kind you're, of, you know, you're, you're saying, which we said earlier, which is uh, everybody needs to educate themselves just because the government says this is good for you. Yeah. And, you know, you should be buying RSPs. And I believe me, I, I deal with RSP investors all the time. Yeah. But I, I just find that not everybody has the time 
that I have chosen, chose, made a choice to make is to learn about real estate and, and manage that. But I, whether you're investing with, with a bank or anybody, why assume that they know what they're talking about? It's just, it boggles my mind yeah. that, that, you know, uh, if, if you're, you're, you're giving someone money and just assuming, well, he's got an accreditation, what does that mean? An accreditation, right? Yeah. So, I think, yeah, I think the the public in general give our politicians uh, far too much credit and they're, they can be really great people and they can be really smart in certain things, but you know, they don't have the answers that we wish they would have or that we think they do. So, you know, sadly, that's just the case of what's going on. Okay. We got to move on because like you and I can go down this rabbit hole. We could beat this one to death and and we have only just getting warmed up. So Mark, let's talk a little bit more about you. Now you, you, you're doing what you're doing today. You've been a long time real estate investor. You're working on some projects right now. You're like everybody else. You've got some concerns what's going on with lockdowns and COVID and where the hell all is going. I still want to talk about that. Um, but give me a little bit of your history. So when did you get into the real estate world? You know, when did that journey start for you? And uh, let's go back sure. a little bit. Yeah. And, and who doesn't like to talk about themselves, right, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's the fallback. Let's talk about So sure. So I actually, um, I, I was in the music business. Uh, I, I did really, I did quite well with it. And I bought my first rental property in 1989. Well, hold it, hold it, hold it. Sorry to interrupt. You're in the music business. Now, I know you're a musician. You play, you sing. But when you say you're in the music business, were you producing or were you playing? What oh, was- I, 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 so, so I tried to be a musician. Yeah. And then I realized there's more money in selling it to those musicians than there is in playing. <laughs> so I actually got involved with wholesale and sort of uh, importing uh, musical instruments. So I, I got involved with that in about 85, which yeah. is a long time. And I did quite well. I made enough. And um, my grandmother, God bless her, said, put all your money into real estate. Yeah. Um, and my mother didn't, you know, at the time I was still a single guy. Anyways, I bought my first property in 89, six months before the crash. Interest rates, 12%. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I and do. I think there was one time it jumped to 18. It was crazy. Yep. But it was, and there, there we can see, you know, look at interest because the economy was what? It was like 7% GDP. It was crazy. So it was were, humming. I, it was humming. Well, of course, we had oil and gas like off the charts. Right. We, guess what? We were the cohort called the boomers. We're now boomers. Back then, we're not boomers. We would be some version of millennials, yeah. I guess, today. But I mean, the economy was screaming hot. Screaming. But there's the government. I, the government I, did what it needed to do, I guess, at, at the time, perhaps. Yeah. And, and so I bought my first rental property and, and, you know, I, I read just a little bit. I was still what, 27 and you know, and I'm, like, oh, I'm going to buy a rental property now. I'm, I'm, I'll be a big landlord. So I bought my first and, um, it, you know, I was a semi in Richmond Hill and I paid 165 for it and uh, sorry, 185 for it. I bought it in like in February by September, uh, February. So by September, the market completely crashed. I, mean, I don't know if you remember that. It mm-hmm. crashed like really bad. Totally. And it went down to, I think a lot of praise at 162. Now, when you really think about it, what's that? $35,000. Oh my God. But you know, when you're first starting as a percentage of the value of the property, that was almost 30, uh, 20, 22% kind of thing. So yeah. it dropped significantly. I hung on to that property. And I lived in it, rented the basement, did what uh, what I believe, and uh, until 1999, roughly 10 years yep. before I sold it for what I paid for it. Thank God for the renter that helped me take the mortgage down. Took that money, and I and I got married, got a home, all those wonderful things. 
And then, uh, so 99, and then in 04, I sold my music company. So along a bit of a side, I became a sound engineer. I really got into developing quality sound. I loved good music. I love good quality sound. So I became a sound engineer. I developed the crossover, if you believe it, that was distortionless. If anyone in there is into music and understanding sound waves and things like that. So I sold that to Yamaha. Unbelievably, I thought it was worth what, 20 million? It was worth 200,000. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's so, pretty big money back then. Yeah, that's right. Hey, I'm a bit. So, so I bought, um, I bought four, I bought four properties with that. Um, mm. And I started in Aurelia and, and I really, uh, and I joined Rain. I, I, and I so fervently wanted to network. I was lonely. I said, ah, I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I, and when I joined Rain, my, my life took off. And this is in no way, Patrick, trying to, you know, I know rain on its own can stand on its own, but I swear to you, I've still got fantastic friends from rain. I got friends from all over Canada. Yeah. Patrick, you and I, my God, how many <laughs> stories did we talk about exactly. the time that we were together? Yeah. So, so it took off for me. I, I, I bizarrely here, I, you know, in the music business, I, I created something that I thought was wonderful. No one even cared within a, a year. I'm, I'm, you know, winning awards that I, amongst my peers, which is, which is the most important thing. Your peers are record. And I thought this was wonderful. So of course I bid on that thing and I went hog wild. I got my real estate license, mortgage license. I, I got into developing. If you want to hear a great story, I don't know if we have time, but it's, I think I might've told the story before, but tell it, tell you know, it. we have time YouTube video with, uh, with uh, Rav on, on one of his shows, you yeah. know, not knowing anything. And I just posted it on YouTube back in 09. YouTube was not what it was. And so, Bizarrely, um, uh, a guy from uh, Kuwait saw it. He was in London, England, and somehow he was Googling and he found me. He literally calls me and I said, who? Come on. Some guy calling me to. And I hung up on him. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Because I thought you're you're calling from the Middle East to invest in real estate because you're calling me an expert. I said, ah. There's no way. Anyways, it, it ended up it ended up changing my life, Patrick. I he did come over. He owned half of Square One, which is a massive uh, mall here in, in uh, Mississauga. Yeah. And we ended up developing. I got I for two years. I became a developer, and it was wonderful because the best part of it, Patrick, was I was honest with him. I said I don't know anything about it, mm-hmm. and he said, "Yeah, but Mark, you're being honest with me." He says, "Everyone I talk to says I'm your guy." I can show you, you don't know what you're talking. I'm the developer. And I said, I'm not a developer. What I can at least give you is my honest opinion. And they hired me, Patrick. So there's a lesson to be learned about don't try to fool anybody. You can't fool them. So I got into developing. And then from that, uh, a developer hired me uh, for Barry. And we, I developed some significant projects up there. I became the the vice president there. And I, I, and in the meantime, I still had my rental properties. I had up to about 80, 82, 85 doors. It was killing me. I'll be honest with you. Property managing, you talked about doom and gloom. Let's talk about property managing. Yeah, no I'm, kidding. Not, yeah. I'm not a pro property managing guy. I try to avoid that. Yeah. But I got into develop. I still had them. And uh, I, I learned so much about developing and from 2009 to about 2014. That's all I did. And then I got into, uh, which is what the, my developer, my boss said. He says, Mark, you really want to understand real estate? Understand money. Understand where the money goes. Understand how it works. And and then I started getting into exempt market space, uh, private lending, understanding you know the mortgage markets, all of that stuff that I'm doing now. And it it is it is true that that is my journey. I can honestly say I did I I I've cleaned so many toilets. I've done all of that that I think uh, a lot of investors have done. 
And yes, I know you can hire property managers, but I, I'm a do-it-yourself guy. But that is a bit of my story, how I ended up where I'm at. And I could certainly embellish on a few more, but just like with you, Patrick, I'm sure you've got some stories too. So so let's go back a little bit. You know, you, you talked about, you know, your grandma said, you know, Mark, invest in real estate. So in a good Lithuanian accent, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to go from music uh, to that music industry where there's lots of creativity, musicians aren't known. And I, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but you, you know, musician musicians are, are known for creativity. They don't generally want to get into the trenches of doing the dirty work per se. And it seems like such a departure to go from, being in the music industry to the real estate industry, uh, was that just because, you know, you were taking great advice from grandma that you really respected or like what drove that? Because then you went from there to being quite a savvy business guy and an entrepreneur. And so, well, you know, I mean, Patrick, we, I don't want to get too personal, but you know, my, my parents, you know, European came with nothing. I was the first university educated son they had. And, you know, I really said, I want to be a musician. My dad, you know, what are you crazy? You don't make any money. And so part of me had my one foot in music and one foot in business mm-hmm. only to satisfy my parents. And I can, there is a whole other psychological conversation sure. we can have on the, on the, on the influence our parents had, but you know, to that point, and that's where I listened to them. You know, I, I, I was saying, well, maybe they're right. What if I don't make it? Well, what's my fallback? And my and a friend of mine who was a musician said, Mark, I'm 40 years old, a fantastic drummer, fantastic drummer. And he says, I haven't made it. He says, you got to make sure you have a fallback. So that little bit of advice, you know, put me into that secondary mode of saying, you know, maybe I should look at this. And that's that's what that really it's that sort of small voice in your head saying, yeah, maybe I should. That's really what drove it. It's it sounds crazy, but it's true. Well, I think you know, as I talk to so many on the show, you know, it is really a case of what's the fork in the road. Everybody has a fork in the road where they have to, at some point, they make a decision. Now, in your case, you know, whether it was your friend or your parents or a combination of all of it, but there there was a fork in the road. So, you know, I'll give you, you know, where I look at forks in the road. So if I'm observing this conversation, in which I am, and I'm looking at it, I say, you know, the first question I have is, were your parents entrepreneurial? Or were they saying, Mark, get a job? You know, you went, you go to university, get a job. Were they that parent or were your parents as immigrants going, go into business, be an entrepreneur? Was that, was that their spirit or was it more go to university, get a job? Wow, Patrick, just on the weekend, I was with a friend who wants to, she wants to quit her job and start her own job at 55. Yeah. And and I was giving her advice. I said, well, of course, she says, you speak like that because you've been an entrepreneur. And then I tried to tell her, I said, my parents were dead set against it. My dad was a union man. My dad says, I worked for the railway, by the way, four years. Mm-hmm. I had a wonderful job, so much fun. And when I quit, he just about disowned me because he said, are you crazy? <laughs> There's a lifetime job. And, it, and to yeah. some degree, yeah. he was right. Yeah. But I said, dad, this 50 year old guys that I was talking to were bitter and angry. That means when I'm 50, I'm going to be bitter and angry. That's yeah. not the, that's not the life I want to live. Yeah. I, what I mentioned to that, again, getting a bit personal is my parents did raise me to look at what's quality. What is a quality life? Free time, health, enjoyment, love. Mm-hmm. My God, my, they're all about that. They really weren't about the money. That's another conversation yeah. I know. So I looked at it, I said, well, I'm not going to be happy as working for a company. I ended up being an entrepreneur, not because of my parents, not because of, but because it was really, 
I, I, I saw that as the only opportunity for me to get into it. And to be honest, when I got into the music business, it was strictly commission. So even though, you know, I wasn't working for myself, it was really one of the few jobs I had where I was still yeah, as a commission, you know, you don't get paid. So there really was no influence on the entrepreneurial side, but that's, again, that's another podcast is entrepreneurism, right? Well, you know, you know, and, and, and just to your point around personal is, didn't I tell you that part about being on this show is like, we dig into what it is that, you know, got you here. <laughs> I, I better get out the Kleenex. You're going to make me cry. I miss my mom so much now. <laughs> so, you know, but the thing about that is it's really important to understand is that, you know, what, what I had I'd observe in that Mark and, and which is this, is that, you looked into the future, you saw a bunch of 55-year-old guys working for the railroad, and you went, what the hell? Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm not interested right. in that kind exactly. of life. Exactly. Right? And it's interesting is because I traveled so much across Canada and hotels and all this stuff within the Real Estate Investment Network and business in general, it's, you know, it's interesting. I would see, we would, we were, uh, we'd often go to the Marriott in, and stay at the Marriott in Toronto. And, it, it, and ultimately, we'd end up there and there'd be some kind of convention going on and it would be, you know, whatever, it would be like, some sales convention of guys that are, you know, I, I just know there was a lot of half tons in the parking lot. So I don't know what they did for a living. But my point was this, is I often saw these young guys and they're hanging out with the old guys, the older guys. And I looked at the older guys and I said to the young, to myself, I'm going, okay, younger guys, can you not see what your future is about to look like? That's... You know, <laughs> but here's the thing. You saw it at an early age. That's not normal. So that's kind of a, a cool thing. That's why I ask about it, you know, is like, that's a fork in the road. So then your buddy at 40 years old goes, you know, Mark, you need a backup plan. And so your backup plan right. in, ended up so, being so there, there were two events. You know, there was a 40-year-old who was saying, look, I've already done it. And 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 I and I respected him as a as a musician, but he was trying to say, you gotta have a backup plan. And and the the other side was is I have all, you know, I had an opportunity and I saw that the only it's quality of life. I mean, you were, you know, that that yin and yang between money. And happiness. I mean, that, there's a huge topic, yep. but I, I've always chosen a happiness route. I've never been overburdened. Yes, I, I, I always end up biting off more than I can chew. Sure. But, but that's not because of greed. It's just because of ambition. It's because yeah. you know I'm, I'm motivated. I love what I do, and you know, as you know, doing doing what you love is part of that quality of life. I don't want to wake up in the morning and go, oh, I got to go drive a train. Oh, I can't stand. Yeah. There's no way I could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, so so tell me a little bit. How old were you? Give me some uh, timelines. How old were you back at that point in your life, Mark? Uh, sorry, when uh, the railway? Yeah, well, railway and then music changing and saying, go, no, I'm going to go how, into. How what, did I tell you about the time I worked on a cruise ship for two years? <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you playing music back then or what? I was, yeah. yeah that's so, cool. You know, I, I could digress a bit and say that I bought a motorcycle, and as you know, I and I ended up falling in love with a, a Florida Floridian, and I said, I'm going. I mean, 19 years old, bro, you go. So I went. My poor mother, God bless her, you know, uh, I don't know how they let me. Anyways, it was November. Bro, it was a snowstorm. I drove <laughs> in the snow to get through the Detroit border. They stopped me, no joke, at the border and said, you're kidding. You're driving. It's November, man. And then so they stopped me for an hour and thank God I had some contacts and they, and they uh, called up and they said, no, no, he, I mean, it was a woman, the girl's place. Anyways, I ended up there. Unbelievably, I met a Canadian cruise director and he just took a shining to me. Uh, I don't know. He got me a job, bro. I saw the world on a cruise ship. It was back when the love boat, remember that show? <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's a fantastic so, story. 
So, yeah. so tell me though, I want to go back a little bit and, and tell me when you're making those calls, how are you wired? You know, like I, I get that you don't mind the adventure. What's your mindset around the fear? Am I going the right direction? So for example, the call that you got from, I think you got, you said he was from Kuwait, the guy, the developer, and he goes, okay, you can do this. And you go, shit, I don't know anything about development. Okay, so you you told the story. And he goes, yeah, but I don't care about that because I just I wanted somebody that tells the truth. So you get there, but even in that moment, what gave you the confidence to say, okay, well, the learning curve is going to be steep, but I can pull this off? Were you just really confident in his leadership, or were you, or your ability to learn? You know, because lots of people would have said, nah, nah, no, you're kidding. Like, no, I can't take that on. Like, what yeah. what what pushed you over the edge to to follow that lead? You know, Patrick, no one's ever asked me that. That That's an excellent question because on one hand, I'm saying we should educate ourselves. And here I was saying, yeah, I'm going to develop for you. I did have two friends. One of them was a RAIN member, Dennis, Dennis Botero. And I said, Dennis, this guy called me and he goes, well, Mark, I, I have one guy and it was it happened to be Tony Morrow. Tony Morrow, you know, I can go on and on about those relationships. But I called him up and I said, listen, I don't know anything about this. I've got this fella here. Can you and I, can I, can I rely on you? And he went, he, at first, you know, and he's a pretty big guy. He's, mm -hmm. TMG is a big builder in Toronto. At the time, he just left. If He, he was with um, Tridel. I mean, huge. He was the builder for Tridel. I somehow called him. He replied. And I said, look, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, can you please help me? Going back to what I firmly believe is mentorship. I so believe in, in talking. Mm -hmm. And he, he laughed and he said, who? What, you know, what, who is this guy? And I saying, look, this is the truth. He, he says, I don't believe you. So I showed him, I brought Talal, the, the guy from Kuwait and we met him and I said, and he, he was so in disbelief, but to your point, I didn't do it myself. I had to bring in people. I had yeah. to. So I referred to him on almost all the things we actually are good friends. He's a great guy. And, and as you know, Patrick, a lot of people that make it really from the bottom they they appreciate honesty. They appreciate sincerity. They don't want the BS guys. They, they, there's enough BS guys. They want to see a guy that just says, Hey man, this is who I am. This is what I got. Can you help me? And I, I find that most people, when I ask for help, they give it to me. I, I know it's weird, but, and I want to encourage everyone to do the same. If you're watching, call Patrick, call me. I mean, I don't know. I'd love helping people because the world it, it's meant for, there's enough for everybody. Right. You bring up a really interesting point, and I, and I only want to do this because this is the kind of the coach in me that comes out about helping people. You know, there's a there's some individuals that don't like asking for help. You know, they're whatever it is, they go, I don't like asking for help. So here's a rephrase, and I think it's just a good coachable moment just based on what you said. And I often look at them and I go, well, tell me something. If somebody walks up to you and says, will you help me? You go like, piss off, like, screw you. And they go, no, 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 I want to help them. And I go, yeah, well, that's that's interesting. I said, how does that make you feel? And they go, well, it makes me feel really, really good. So I go, so you're okay to help people and feel really good about contribution and having fulfillment because you've helped somebody along the way, but you would rob somebody else of the same feeling of being able to help you and support you. And it right. always stops people in their track. I go, you know, something is funny how ego works is that, you know, we want it because we want to be the contribution. So we want to be the helper. But when it's somebody else who really sincerely wants to help us, we shut them down because 
we can't bring ourselves to be helped because of whatever story we're telling ourselves. You're, you're, you're hitting the two types of people. And I'm sure you read this book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective. For Stephen sure. Covey yeah. talks about abundance mentality and scarcity. Mm-hmm. Abundance is where I want to live. In other words, there's enough. It's it's the guys that say, uh, can you come and help? He's the scarcity mentality. He turns you down because he thinks there's not going to be enough left for me. Yeah. And I, I, I just can't operate. So there are people like that for sure. Have I asked people and they said, no, they said, I'm not helping you because they're afraid. They're afraid of what? I don't know. But I live. I like to live in the abundance. I often refer to that. It's abundance or scarcity. That's the that's the premise we live in. So you're hitting it right on the head there. So tell sure. me something around that thought process, Mark. You know, time and time again, when we're working with new real estate investors or young entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs, and we say, "What's in your way?" and they go, "Fear." Well, okay, common one. Fear of what? And they go, "Fear of failure." So. Now, I have my view of that, and as I'm sure you do, but when you were looking at and doing all the things that you did and you continued to you know, take the chances you took and go on the adventures that you went on and do all the things that you did, where did the fear of failure live for you? <laughs> Boy, you know, as you're, as, you're, as you're asking that, I said, oh, if he asked me, do I have big balls? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think I, looking back, I mean, I am 61 looking back. I think part of it was stupidity. I I can't believe I'm saying that, but you know, you, 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 when you don't know, you don't realize how dangerous some things are, how stupid some things are. And you're, and you're lucky to get through. So I would have to say half of it was complete ignorance. And the other half was thinking, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. And so there, 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 it was, you know, in the early years, Patrick, it wasn't about, you know, um, well, I got to educate myself. It was just, I'm going to go and do it. And yes, I've made some huge mistakes. Yes, there's been failure. And I, we can talk, but we can talk about that. You know, it's not the falling, it's the getting up and all those things. But, um, you know, I, I have, I have, I've, I've, I've I talked to my kids. My kids are, in, are, you know, in their early 20s and we're talking about things like that. And I, and I'm encouraging that they're, they're actually much more cautious than me. I think it's part of an innate thing. Some people just, you know, are more optimistic. I don't know that two side, that, yeah, that two sides of the yin and yang thing. I'm not sure. I can't really answer that. It's as best as I can answer, Patrick. I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, here I'll get to the question, but here's my observation of coaching really, you know, one-on-one, one-on-many thousands right. of people from live from stage or one-on-one or groups. It's all part of the coaching that we've done over the years and that I've learned done over the years. And certainly what I've learned is, you know, in, is the fear of failure is, is actually bullshit. And, and I, and I also learned that lesson for myself, by the way, which is it's not fear of failure. It's fear of judgment of others. Should you not succeed is what you set Perfect. out to do. Absolutely. You nailed it. hundred yeah. percent. It's what other people think of you. Yep. And the most successful individuals I know, and I know some guys that hit it out of the park, they give no, they don't give a moment's thought to what somebody might think. They give moments thought to how it will affect somebody else, you know, whether it be a friend, right. a family, a partner, but they give zero thought to what anybody else might think about what they're doing and how it may turn out. The other question I have for you, Mark, when you think about the fear of failure, because I think it's an interesting topic, but have you ever had... Because I always, I always ask, you know, people that have the fear of failure, well, well, what? Is it a catastrophic failure that you're you're fearing? What level of failure are you talking about? You know, I can't count how many mistakes and how many failures I've had. I've had many. And um, 
Fortunately, some of them have come close to being catastrophic, but they've none of them have been catastrophic. So right. what's your experience? Have you had an absolute meltdown catastrophic uh, failure? I mean, there's been there's been personal ones that were somewhat out of my control. I mean, you know, keep, I mean, again, you know, how personal do we want to get? I, I, I always believe in transparency and everything. And for sure, personally, I've been through some very tragic things, some very difficult things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that's like saying, well, I'm not going to get up in the morning because half the people in my life are gone and et cetera. That's a, that's a different thing. The idea of fear in business, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, if you can identify that I'm more afraid of what my neighbor, my friends, my family are going to say, mm-hmm. then if you can isolate that, then you go, well, then really, what is stopping me? I mean, yeah. I love what Zig Ziglar calls fear is false evidence appearing real. Sure. And in other words, it's not real until until you do it. But I hate to say this, but I haven't lost any money in any deal. Real estate has done wonderful, as you know, since 2004. I, I you know, was I lucky? I hate using that word because there, I don't think in luck that much. I think, you know, I tell my kids, always be prepared for that two-minute conversation. My son wants to be a, a filmmaker. I said, imagine being in the elevator with uh, with uh, Steven Spielberg. You got two minutes. Go. What do you say? Mm-hmm. And I remember talking with Don about that and getting your, your two-minute speech together so that you're prepared for that moment. And I think that, you know, fear comes into that when an opportunity comes, you know, maybe you're not prepared enough. You got to be wanting that thing. Yeah. And I think building up to that is is part of what people call luck. I don't think there's that. There is luck in terms of, you know, bumping into someone in the street. But there, in terms of business, I don't know. Luck, you, you're standing in the right spot at the right time, right? Yeah. And I think there's a place where if you don't think it's possible, opportunities can't show up. You know, until you realize something's possible, you don't even see the opportunity. Right. And, exactly. Yeah. You know, at some level in your life, when your friend from Kuwait came up and showed up, at some, at some point, you were, you know, it, it didn't throw you off as this isn't possible. Like, you know, you actually looked at it and because of your, upbringing, perhaps in your DNA, perhaps back to grandma or mom or dad again, is ultimately you saw it as an opportunity and you spotted it as an opportunity. And then you actually move forward in the, in the opportunity. As much thought process as you might have had and you asked for help and you asked for guidance. Listen, lots of people would have go, wouldn't even have been, they wouldn't even have bothered asking somebody for help or for their advice or their guidance in a different perspective, let alone sitting down with them and actually meeting with them. I mean, that's yeah. actually a, a pretty bold, I, that in itself is a sophisticated, quite a mature thing to do. Most people don't do that. They blow it off as silly. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Why does he want me? And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting characteristic, you know, doesn't you know, surprise Patrick, me knowing you, but. Yeah, on that, sorry to mean to cut you off, but on that, I do look at a lot of things with, with a glint in my eye of humor. I, I got to be honest. Like yeah. when he called me, I hung up on him. I laughed. <laughs> look at this idiot. Is sure. And so a lot of events like that, looking back, were actually quite humorous because I, 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 it wasn't that I couldn't believe it. Like you're touching on things. Yeah, I certainly believed it, but. It was more that that I said, oh, this is going to make a great story. Let's do it. Because <laughs> we may not do it, but this is going to be really funny later on. But this, but interesting. I, I love that stuff because I like to just look at, I know in my own life, but with guests that they come on, I, I always kind of like to try and find that fork in the road. or And it's always one of many, right? It's never yeah. you know this one particular fork in the road. But having said that, there was a fork in the road that took you down the path called real estate. Now, within that decision to make real estate kind of part of your focus, it grew and expanded and then, of course, all sorts of things started to happen. And, and that, I find that always quite fascinating when we reflect. And that's all we can do at this 
you know, at this point is to reflect and say, well, what did we do right? So when you when you think about you've got a couple kids in their 20s and, you know, you're at 60, what do you see in your future? You know, I look at and I, I joke all the time as I'm on the Freedom 95 program because, you know, I just <laughs> don't ever see not I can't picture myself, and I do. I, I think about it often. You know, my wife and I, you know, Stephanie and I, we think, well, what the hell are we going to do? Like, what is what is life in the the, the later, you know, we're, we're going to be around for another, let's say, 40 years. You know, what are we going to do? What do we want it to look like? And, uh, of course, COVID throws a, a whole kind of boomerang monkey wrench into those workings. But I, I, there's no part of me that ever says that I'm going to quit working or that I'm going to just kick back. I, 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 I'm not wired to do that. But what about you? How are you doing, you know, energetically, you've got kids, one day you'll be a grand grandfather. Like, what do you see your future in the world of business and what you're trying to achieve? Well, I I mean, you're, 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 you're touching on a lot of things. I want to interject there, but I, I want to start off first with when we talk about, you know, maybe people who are first starting in that idea of fear, you need to start thinking of the future. We talked about, I looked at the 50 year old, I looked at this. So the idea of saying, you're touching on, well, where do I want to be? If you're 25, where do I want to be when I'm 60, which is my age? Mm -hmm. And if you can't paint that picture, then you got a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of fear does diminish if you can at least see yourself there. Mm -hmm. So to to answer your question, I talk about that kind of stuff all the time. Like you, when I got into real estate, I realized that it was a choice I made and that I can do this till the day I die. That was probably one of my biggest things is, is I, I can, I can work. Um, I, and I don't, first of all, for myself and I can, and I can do this for as long as I want. So there's no idea of quitting. The second thing, of course, is understanding the finance side, a private, for me to be straight up, I'm at, I'm at a situation where if all I did was private lend, sure. I, I, I this is a bit of a side note, but back in, um, back in the day in rain, you know, I would look at private lenders and say, ah, they're only getting 8% in their money. I'm making 12. I'm in, And now I'm thinking, you know, I think I want to be a private lender because of the experience that I have. Sure. That's another story. But we're talking about a Belize. You remember that term way back in rain? I still What's use it. Still use it. We love the Belize. Still it. Perfect. Yep. So, I, I, I mean, I was just down in Costa Rica one month before the thing came, and that's where I think I want to go. So, mm. I, I see myself involved in real estate till the day I die. Absolutely. My kids, thank God. They want to, he wants to go, he's going to school. He wants to buy a rental property. Of course, I'm going to help him. Mm-hmm. He's already on that path. And so, so the idea of, of working until the day I die, absolutely. I, I love what I do playing music, all the things that I love, I'm going to keep doing, but work is going to be a big part of it. And real estate truthfully has given me such freedom, such an open, like it's an open door to the world. I, I, I never thought musically, I thought, Oh boy, I could be a musician, but you know, from a real estate side, man, it's just, it's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful. If anyone's considering it, I'm telling you, it's a wonderful life. Get involved in real estate. <laughs> I'm always envious of, of people who have some musical talent, whether they can sing or play an instrument. I mean, I can't play a radio effectively. Like I just, don't have it now the question which leads me to the question is uh do your kids have uh, some musical uh talent do, do they do they well, get you know, that gene? My, they do but they they don't like they don't practice mm-hmm. and so like any father i you know I, they hear me playing like you know drums is my first instrument and they, they're natural drummers my middle one oh my god the guy can just sit and play but he doesn't practice and mm-hmm. so there, there is, there is something in there that's missing. Maybe they'll, they will when they're older. Yeah. I, I don't know, but yeah, they have, they have some, I, uh, my middle one, I'm sorry, my youngest daughter, boy, she can sing, but again, she's shy. She's 13, blah, blah. And so 
I, I, I encourage it. I, and I, I do want to make a little side note on, you know, the parent thing. So I didn't restart. I didn't start my studio until uh, about two years before COVID. And I was looking at a picture my mom did, Patrick, and she did it. And then in the corner, I just said, what is that little thing? It was the date. It was 1971, bro. Mm. I was 11 years old and she painted this magnificent picture, kids running around. And I thought, wow, if she can do that, then I can at least produce some besides work, besides that, you know, the passion part, we got to speak of passion. Mm -hmm. I said, what am I passionate about? Well, besides, you know, sailing, cycling and God, the only other thing I'm passionate about is music. So I got into music and I've been writing and playing. It doesn't matter who's listening. The point is I'm producing a piece of art that is all me and it's there now. It's there. So if I die, when I die, it's my there. kids can go, wow, I remember dad, you know, trying to play that. So that's a whole other side thing about, you know, the joys of life and leaving a legacy, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's what inspired me. <clears throat> I love that. You know, and we're so blessed. I, I happen to know we have many musicians and, and vocalists in our life that we know and have come to know over the years. And I'm always just like, Darn it. Why couldn't I be blessed with that talent, you know, somewhere, <laughs> yeah, you, got other ones. you know, so yeah, other talents, I guess. So, For sure. so Mark, I want to appreciate, you know, say, appreciate your time, but we have to go to, as we start to wind down, we got to get to our 10 rapid fire questions. Thanks for all those insights that you shared, by the way, they're really, really great. So speaking of music, uh, do you have a favorite tune? I have lots of favorite tunes, but uh, my favorite tune would be that uh, if you're stuck on an island, right? It would be uh, Steely Dan Asia. And and also Steely Dan, but do you have a, and do you have a favorite band? By the way, just curious. Favorite band is Level Forty Two. Okay. Android or Apple? Uh, Android. Mm, good for you. Proud of you. <laughs> Do you have a, do you have and, a, and, and believe me, that's an argument with my kids. My kids are all Apple. Yeah, get listen, that. I, you know, JG, our, my chief growth officer, JG is like, he's Apple. He drank that Kool-Aid so heavy. Anyways, right. I, I do have an Apple phone. I'm still working you know, off the Apple, Microsoft, same company. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. And, uh, okay. So, uh, do you have a favorite quote? Favorite quote? Um, yeah, there, well, you get everything in life, uh, You'll get everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Beautiful. And favorite swear word? <laughs> I'd have to say shit. <laughs> really? That's, that's yeah. pretty tame. It is. It is. You know, it's it's not the F word because I find that a little bit blunt. But no, nah, I'd say I say shit a lot. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we, you know, dropping F-bombs is probably most of our my guests' favorite uh, favorite word. But then I get some guests that go. No, I don't swear. I go, what are you talking about right now? Yeah, How can you who not swear? Are you? <laughs> who are you? Anyways, yeah. so I always use, I always go back to yeah. somewhere I led, yeah. uh, read a quote that somebody said, if you got to swear, you don't have a, a good enough uh, handle on the English language. And I go, okay, well, oh, well, then guess what? I need to go back to school. Yeah. Anyways, um, I think they're just, I just think swearing is so appropriate. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> it does have an effect. It does. I, yes. admit, it, I find swearing mostly humorous. I do. <laughs> when is. someone lets the F-bomb go, like you're in a board meeting and, ah, and I go, it's, it just comes out funny. That's all. Yes, exactly. Favorite movie? Um, it would have to be, uh, oh man, there's been a few good ones. I'd have to say, I'll pick an odd one, The Fisher King. I've got a lot, but I love The Fisher King. First mm. of all, Robin Williams, genius. Yeah. Secondly, Jeff Bridges. And thirdly, the whole story of it, just 
touched my heart like there's no tomorrow. It's about redemption. Mm-hmm. It's about getting through it. There's a guy that went through an extremely difficult thing. He meets a crazy guy. The crazy guy helps him get his life back. I mean, yeah. come on. That is, that's good. I, that's one that's not been brought up, but that, you're right. That is a, is an awesome, awesome. Well, I figured movie. I'd, you know, I could pick the common ones, you know, yeah. like, 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 uh, but I thought I'm going to throw a curveball. The Fisher that King, is, man. That is, that is a bit of a curveball. That is definitely a bit of a curveball. Room, desk, or your car? What do you clean first? My car. You got a clean car. Very good. Yeah, because I'm in my car all the time. I'm driving all the time. Got to have a clean car. <laughs> awesome. And finally. What are you grateful for today, Mark? Oh, well, just so you know, in my company, we start off every board meeting with three things we got to be grateful for. Mm. But you're just asking me for one, so that's easy. You can give me um, three if you like. You're three well, is good. Yeah, first of all, I'm, I'm just grateful to be alive in this day. I'm grateful to be healthy. I, I'm grateful that I have a lucid mind. Uh, there, as I mentioned earlier, there was people in my life that you know, they're alive, but they couldn't enjoy life. And I am so glad that I'm able to to talk to you and have conversation. Look at you, you're an abbotter and I'm in Toronto here. And, yeah. and so I am so grateful to be, to have a clear mind and to, and to embrace life. I love embracing life. And that's, that's what I'm so grateful for. And in all the time that, uh, in all the years that I've known you, that is probably one of the things if somebody asked me to describe Mark, I'd say, Mark, is one of those guys that's always got some humor and embraces life, takes it on, and is always coming full on with lots of energy. So uh, that that really resonates when you said that. So that's kind of cool. So yeah. I'm grateful for you as a guest. I'm grateful to to know you and uh, like you. I'm grateful for uh, my health and uh, family, Mark. And it's been great having this conversation today. We could have gone for another hour. We could have. And, and, and if I can just slip in there, buddy, I miss you. I think you're a great guy. Yeah. I'm so glad that you and I have been friends all these years. Yeah. I truly, truly mean that. Thank well, you. Thank you, Mark. And uh, we'll see you again real soon. Well, I'm going to have you on my show. So we'll talk then. Beautiful. <laughs> I'll send you an email. Thanks, buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.